you know, that's that's also kind of a recipe for disaster, too. Right. Because some those two people might not agree on something. Well, what are they going to do? They're not going to talk. They're going to use you. And what are you going to do? You have two different bosses telling you different things. And, you know, neither of them feels 100 percent accountable for you, your career development, your workload or, or know what it is. Um, and to me, so it's, to me, that just seems like, you know, a little bit of a management cop out, like make a decision. Who does this per person report to? <laughs> who, who has this responsibility? Okay. Moving on. That's incredible. All right. Three, two, one. So I got to tell you, I was a little nervous when I saw this one on my calendar. I, I did a little bit of the research on the CV, but you know, we had to do it. We have our first Ivy Leaguer, everyone. Amy Madonia, thank you so much for joining us on the You Are Not Your ROAS podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Absolutely. And, and don't, be, don't be intimidated by the Ivy League. I, I, I got told I would never get in. So I had the uh, inferiority complex the full four years I was there. <laughs> but now <laughs> you, you got in and you, and you graduated in four years. I graduated. I had a couple of victory laps and, and I was not Ivy League. So we'll, we'll leave that for another day. All right. um, where does this podcast find you, Amy? I'm in New York City. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. I am in Austin, Texas, as always in the uh, marketing hub. Have you lived in New York your whole life? Uh, the state, most of my life. Um, I'm from upstate New York originally. I'm from Syracuse. Yeah. 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 They're, they're unfortunately out of the tournament this year, which is a bummer, but, yeah. um, but I've, okay. I've lived in Manhattan twice in my life and this is, yep. you know, my second tour and, and not going anywhere else here to stay. Yeah. I mean, there is, uh, I've been to the city a few times and, uh, I got to tell you, Manhattan is probably my favorite part of the city, but I have just this huge addictive personality and I, I, there's just so much energy there that it would eat me up. I would, I'd be a week and I would just be gone in some drained pool somewhere. It is just, <laughs> there is uh, we actually got to, when I was at university, a friend of ours, um, he, he was Greek and his uh, fraternity brother um, actually got transferred to the NYU dorms, which are not even like dorms. There was, it was like this incredible high rise. Like, nice. yeah. Super yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we got to go to our Columbia, which is a beautiful campus, but it is in the hood. It is not in a great it's area up. to walk around. Yeah, it's up. It's up. It's up. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, parts of parts of those neighborhoods are really, really nice. Yep. You know, and that's one of the things I love about Manhattan is you walk like 10 blocks and it's like a completely different world than 10 blocks east or 10 blocks west or south or whatever. Um, every neighborhood has its own kind of distinct feel and flavor. And, you know, the energy you mentioned, you know, people either love it or hate it. I, I personally love it. You know, I, I love I, it, too. I, I, I just, you know, even just walking around and riding the subway, seeing what people are doing, what they're wearing, uh, you know, overhearing conversations as somebody who's just interested in people. It's it's a great environment to, to be in constantly. I couldn't agree more. I, I absolutely loved it, like I said, but I just don't I have zero personality for it. And quite frankly, so I came from the Midwest and the Midwest kind of has like a two arm bubble where uh, that that shrinks very quickly in, in the city the, where what's what's the two arm bubble i'm not familiar it's about with that. like two arms length away from somebody is kind of like an acceptable space oh, that yes, you would yes, give yes. somebody Personal in the space. city for, in the space. city it's like a hand if that like yeah. if people are well, bumping into you yeah there's a couple places it completely disappears subway yeah. during rush hour completely 100%. disappears elevators completely disappears like uh, 
you would think that, you know, 16 people is too many. We can get two more in because we got places to go. So, <laughs> Oh, absolutely. We, uh, when I did do the visit there, um, especially in the business district uh, with Manhattan, man, people are getting to where they're going. And there is not, uh, again, coming from the Midwest uh, cordial of like you bump somebody or, oh, you're you get where you need to go and you get there as fast as you can. And uh, yes. no judgment on that. It was just a, uh, <laughs> a different part of the world, but I, I do think it is probably the greatest city in the world. It's, it's, it's really a sight to see. And it's one of our oldest where people don't re re like the U S is fairly young, especially in relative to Europe and stuff like that. So it's, it's one of the few places you can actually see some, some really cool history there. Um, and the museums are sensational. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. You can't be even architecture walking down the street, 100%. I was walking down a street near my apartment and I passed a church and it's got, you know, 1892 on it, you know, through 1912. And I'm looking at the thing wondering, is this how long it took to build this, this thing? And it's still here. And it's just, you know, it's just totally fascinating. Yeah, never, that, never bored here. That's for sure. That's another one where, uh, yeah, if you, if you enjoy entertainment or, uh, a lot of liveliness. Uh, New York is the place to be. Um, so from Cornell, what did you study at Cornell? Uh, it's an interesting story. So I, I was very into art in high school. Yep. Like I wanted to, you know, I got the, you know, being in upstate New York, I got the Parsons mailer, like with this cool, like design and art stuff on it. Oh, cool. And I was like, mom, I want to go here. I want to go to Parsons. And I can remember this moment very distinctly. I was sitting on my yellow shag carpet as a child of the seventies, looking up at her saying, you know, holding the Parsons flyer, I want to go here. And she looked at me and she said, we're not paying for you to go to school and be a starving artist. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of Parsons. However, there you go. this is, comes back to Cornell because they had an interior design program. Okay. So I was kind of like, all right, well, if I can't go to Parsons, you know, my grades are good. My parents, you know, you know, think, believe in me. Cause my guidance counselor was like, you'll never get in there. And, um, so my parents and I kind of compromise, like, you know, this is an interior design program, you know, so there's a little art there. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I got in, I'd love to prove that guidance counselor wrong because he yeah. was one of these guys that like, the, the boys in the class could, could go all the way, could go Ivy, could go Penn Brown and the women. It's like, no, you know, you'd be lucky to get into, to one crummy Sunni. Um, <laughs> and like, I, you know, I, the whole, it had such an impact on me. It's funny when you're a kid, once you hear somebody say something, it has such yeah. an impact on you. Yes. So the entire time I was in Cornell, I thought I was like an imposter, right? Like yep. I was like, I don't really belong here. Uh, I'm, someone's going to find me out. You know, so I studied really hard and I, you know, got really good grades and um, was doing really well in the entire design program. They have like competitions and I was like, you know, placing in the awards and stuff like that. And I just, you know, I got to the point where um, there wasn't enough art in it for me. Right. Yeah. Like we're, we're up with they'd run it like an architecture studio. So you're up at three in the morning with an exacto knife trying to cut, not cut your own fingers off, making models and stuff. Yep. And you know, I also found out what starting interior designers make in the city. And that was not ain't the path. motivating <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't stay in interior design. I think, you know, half of my undergrad was in that. And then, um, 
I studied, uh, believe it or not, facilities planning, which is like HVAC systems and buildings and stuff. Interesting. Uh, very bizarre, very circuitous path. I'm, I was never one of those people that was like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, I just never had that. Um, actually, I did. I tried that. I was like, I want to be an artist. My mom was like, no. So yeah. that, you know, <laughs> that, was, that was the end of that. Um, so, but yeah, that was my, you know, that was how I got into interior design and how I essentially got out <laughs> while I was still in school. So that's incredible. So how did connect the dots now to marketing? Yeah. So it's really interesting. I'll connect them to e-commerce actually, because okay. yeah, um, yeah, even better. Here's, here's the part that, you know, really made me crazy about interior design. Like I was always figuring out how to do the projects so they were beautiful and efficient, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one of the models we had to build, we did the, the, the CAD, the CAD drawing and then the, the model. And, you know, I made something beautiful, but I also made it. So when I had to make the model, I could do it in like three hours and get the hell out of yeah, the studio. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my counterparts are like, you know, doing these precise things up all night long. Um, and then we got to the point where we're like, you know, picking furniture and, and, and stuff. And, you know, you're drawing window mullions in a very specific, precise way over and over again. And I was like, What's God, a window kind of, it's like the that's parts a, of the window that word. hold the glass in. Oh, like the, the, the molding or framing or something like that. A mullion. Yeah. Oh, mullion. Wow. Yeah. Don't ask me word. to spell it. But uh, yeah, mullion. So you'll need to spell it for Scrabble. I can't help you there. I'm out. Uh, so when I got to that point of like chairs and stuff, I was like, this is, this is making me crazy. This is stupid because who am I to say that that chair should be pink and not blue? There's no data to support this decision, yep. right? I yep. can make it look good. No question there, no issue. But why blue? Why not red? Like I have no information to really guide this decision. It feels random. I don't like this. It's stupid, right? So many years later, when I found myself in an e-commerce job, I didn't know it at the time, but I took to it like, you know, a duck in water. I was like, okay, because there's an art, art, artistic um you know, consumer insights, marketing aspects to everything. And then there's the data part. So finally, like, okay, I can make uh, good decisions that might be efficient from a traffic standpoint or whatever, but I also have a little data that I can use as a springboard to tie those two things together and do something awesome that works. Right. So uh, that's just one of the, one of the, you know, kind of lucky things, I guess, that, that worked out about how my brain works you know, leaving interior design and then finding myself in e-commerce many, many years later and finding that it really, really suits me well. I love that. And I'm kind of getting the vibe too, where, um, you, when I encounter very high level marketers, there's usually a mix of system builder, but also this kind of creative empathetic aspect of like, uh, this ethereal, right? Like there's these intangible things of like, how, how do you delight the customer? That's really challenging to get on a spreadsheet. Um, but at the same time, it's so necessary, but on the other hand, having this hardcore data, and if you just swing into that, it can be kind of, you end up being cold and the experience just comes across insincere. And so living at the confluence of data and creativity and systems is kind of really the show for me, in my opinion. It sounds like your your HVACs and your mullions paid <laughs> off, huh? <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. And you know, my father's an engineer, so I probably have a little bit of his, Sure, sure. you know, you know, brain structure or logical or critical thinking, um, you know, kind of hardwired into me, but it is true about our industry in that, you know, and I, 
I, I've taught analytics internally, externally, whatever. And it's an important thing to remember that it's not, it's never uh, all about just the numbers. Yep. There's uh, kind of four parts to analysis. And I, I went over this in somebody's review just yesterday who's on my team. So I'm trying to get this person to kind of grow and develop. Like there's the pulling of the numbers, right? There's the looking at the numbers and saying, this is bigger than this, right? And then, and, and then there's the part where you're, uh, not just talking about the highlights, you're talking about, um, the takeaways. Yep. Well, sales are up, um, primarily because of conversion, you know, traffic was down, but that was offset by the conversion rate. And that's why sales are up. Right. So then there's the kind of the, the highlights, right. But then at the end of the day, kind of the last part of analysis, that's important. It takes kind of a more sophisticated, uh, analytic mind and somebody who really knows their business is to create a story, yes. right? Like, you have to create the story about what's happening with the consumer, with the interface, with the buying process, with the consideration of the purchase and all of that stuff. Um, and that's, I think, in many ways, kind of where the rubber meets, meets the road, um, because that's how you determine the appropriate next steps for, for growing sales or for driving um, a response marketing element and driving consumer demand. So, you know, they, they are kind of two two sides of a coin in that they they need to kind of live harmoniously together kind of that ability to find the story and analyze the data at the same time i uh, man get that tattooed on me i absolutely love that I, i'm a big <laughs> one of my theses is that uh people experience the world in, in stories and so the more and it is kind of to your point a, a bit of a you know double-edged sword where you want to make sure that narrative is rooted in data where you're just not this charismatic person. It's <laughs> just making up this incredibly like, nonsensical thing that like right. to you exactly. makes sense, but there, there needs to be some, some data that exactly. supports that narrative. But I, I couldn't agree more. And I think ultimately, so I mean, kind of triple well plug, that's kind of the ultimate for us is one of the kind of tenants we have is like, we never want to do data for data's sake. Like right. the only reason you want to use data or even further, more visualizations is so you can look at the patterns and then those patterns can then inform to your point what is the narrative like what is this customer actually experiencing because that's another kind of big tenet of ours is like yes numbers and data is incredibly important but at the end of the day like numbers aren't buying your product people are and, and so yep. you need to make sure that you still again have that that empathetic vector where like it, it, you can get really caught in in some unique things where data can tell you these things that it, it's more of an informing and kind of taking you down this path and then you can put together this whole totality of experience versus um to your point oh conversion rates up and traffic's down so we're doing something yeah. right or whatever like yeah. that, that's helpful but there, that's the like to your point the first stage in the analysis but what well, you, you need to kind of drill down to it I, I love that little four stages that's really cool yeah and i can give you an example too like you know we have um a virtual try on technology on our site that does all sorts of cool things. And if we look at the numbers where, you know, we look at users and non-users, the users of a virtual try-on have a much higher conversion rate. So we see that lift in conversion rate and they have a two to three times engagement rate versus non-users with just, you know, the site and pages per session, et cetera. So, okay. So that's like, all right, we pulled the numbers and we looked at it and those are some of the takeaways. And that's like, okay, great. And then as we're going through those, those KPIs, we're like, really weird. The average order value is lower than, 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 right? So you're like, okay, hold the phone. There's a story here. There's something going on here. We need to look a little deeper, right? 
So then you'd look at um, the, the, the hypothesis that I had in my head was, okay, if I'm coming to the site and I don't know which, because you know, Max sells primarily lipstick, right? Yep. I don't know which lipstick shade I want or if I want to buy anything. Right. I am self-selecting to use the virtual try-on for that tool. It is very likely I am, at least more probable, I am a new consumer or new visitor if I am using. So, so, so then, so there's your story, right? So there's your hypothesis. So you test that out. So then you yep. do another, you know, another round to look at, okay, what's my percent of new versus returning visitors that are using VTO versus not using uh, VTO or virtual try-on. And then you say to yourself, okay, the, the, the average order value of my VTO users is actually, if I look at my new people, is still higher than my new people hitting the rest of the site. Yep. So virtual try-on is, is good for both new and returning. And even though the overall AOV is, 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 uh, is shifted downward because I have a high percent of new consumers using it, those new consumers still perform better than the rest of the new consumers on my site because their AOV is higher. So yep. then the next steps part is, okay, great. How do I get my new users to use the, the virtual try right? So, yep. so then that turns into an action that you can take to grow and drive and optimize your business. So that's where, that's where I think it gets really sexy and exciting and fun because okay. you're like, I, now I can do something with this. I understand what's going on with the consumer, why they're using this, what they're trying to do. And I can leverage that knowledge and insights to drive my business. Oh, I, I absolutely love that. And that's one of the things that I think is really important for not only every marketer, really, no matter where you're at on your marketing journey is to get away from beliefs and to get into more of that thesis driven framework of like, this is what I think is happening. Here's how I can falsify it. And here's how I can validate it. And then you just, you, you do that. And then you can kind of keep churning and burning. Cause I found that sometimes, um, when you get into the belief framework, the biases can get really, really challenging to overcome because it's my idea or this is my belief, like beliefs get emotional, emotional can kind of start to abstract the logical way. So the the way you kind of just took a little data point and then extrapolated that into a thesis that then you could either falsify or validate. I mean, right. that's, that's high level. Yeah. And you know what? It's just as exciting when you're wrong, actually. Yes. You know, I 100%. think, I think because like, you never know, like I've been doing e-commerce for more than 16 years now. I'm still surprised. Not as often as I used to be, but 100%. you know, and then, then, the, then it's like, okay, wow, this is a brain teaser. You know, this is not what I expected, or this is not as good as I would have hoped, or this should have been good and it's terrible or whatever the surprise might be. Then it becomes like a little brain teaser and a, and a, and a puzzle. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's, all right, let's figure this out. You know? Totally. Um, so, you know, that's the fun part uh, to me is, is making that story, figuring out what's going on and then figuring out how to leverage that to grow the business and then seeing the business grow. Yeah. Like that's super, super fun. Yeah. And kind of like, you know, people say they're results driven. I'd like, that's, that's really how I get my jollies when I, when I'm, you know, talking about my work is yep. actually seeing it happen. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, um, and it's also psychologically way easier to have this scientific framework versus like trying to be right and wrong where it's just like, yeah. you're never going to be right all the time. It just is yeah. the best, most sophisticated marketers aren't right all the time. Like it, it just is what it is. And quite frankly, if you are right all the time, you're probably not taking enough risk where you're, exactly. you're not trying enough things to push the boundaries to find that 10 X kind of result versus just these little incremental wins. So, uh, I think that's sensational. And, and a lot of companies and places talk about, oh, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to fail. But I think there is still in many places that kind of, you know, 
you know, you, you, you don't want to kind of advertise or publicize something internally that didn't go well, but, uh, you know, I try to create a culture, at least within my team where it's, you know, and when I have my company, we're not always going to be right all the time. Like, you know, and that's okay. The important thing is like, are we learning from it and doing something yes. different as a result? Right. Yes. That's the important part. Right. Yep. Um, and you know, we're going to have a lot of, to, to borrow like a baseball analogy, we're going to have a lot of at bats here. So yep. this is not, you know, this is not one and done. So we're not going to you know worry about something not going the way that we thought or we yeah. wanted it. And even just to build off that one little bit too, if you're hitting like point like 300 or over 300, like you're a baseball God, but yes. like if you think about the percentages of that, you're missing 70% of pitches. Like, yeah that's insanity. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, I think that's such a perfect way to put it with that baseball analogy. I should have known you. Are, are you, are you a Mets or a Yanks Yankees? Well, I, you know, I should say I'm not a true baseball fan. I'm, I'm okay. you know, I watch Syracuse basketball and that's really pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I am Yankees because my yeah. husband is Yankees. Yeah. Insane stadium. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of don't have a choice insanity. there, which is yeah. fine. Yeah. You know, that's not, it could be, but. it could be worse. It could be worse. I, I, I'm, I'm stuck with the Cowboys here and we haven't done anything since the nineties. So it is what it is. Sometimes it's all right. you gotta be, you gotta be true to your team. You gotta be yeah, true to your team. It happens. Okay. Let's wrap up this uh, main segment with one last question. What piece of advice would you give to uh, aspiring marketers that you wish you received when you were on the come up? Um, I would say kind of follow your passion, right? Like if some area interests you, like go deep, you know, like yep. read articles, follow people that work in that, in that sub segment of e-commerce or marketing. Um, you can very quickly, believe it or not, become an expert in something either within a company or ex externally with just, you know, good old fashioned hard work, elbow grease time. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's an industry where you can learn a lot in a short period of time. Ooh, well um, so, you know, take advantage of that, advance yourself. You, you don't need an Ivy league and you do not need an MBA uh, to do well in this industry at all. Yep. You need, you know, a lot of the same things that you need in other industries. You need, you know, resourcefulness and grit and smarts, but you also have to have kind of persistence um, and the, the innate kind of desire to, to push yourself and, and learn about things. So whatever your passion area is, go do that. I love that. Go find your passion people and bet on yourself. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. You made it to the value add segment. Amazing. Right. Amy. Let's, let's get a little nerdy. Okay. <laughs> so what are some of like the best parts and what are some of the most challenging parts kind of running, running your team and, um, kind of running that big team that you have and, uh, having all this responsibility and things like that. Can you get, give me a little color there? Yeah, sure. So, you know, as far as I'll answer this question in two ways, like, you know, working internally for a company and having a team and particularly in, in digital marketing, like, the, you know, also in e-commerce, the sky's the limit on what you can do. Mm -hmm. So the challenge is balancing the priorities with the reality of your resources and, and getting your leadership to believe that that's the right thing and that they're along with you. Um, and I, I've unfortunately or fortunately came up in that cohort when e-commerce was super new Yep. Like when I started doing e-com in, in 06, it was like paid search was new. 
Yeah. It, you know, affiliate was a new email was like, oh, this is exciting. People are going to buy online. <laughs> you know, so my bosses, I, I probably only had one boss, my very first boss, who was very, very good. Her name is Carol Davis. She's probably still at Haynes Brands. And uh, she she taught me everything. Every boss I had after that, I knew more than they did as far as e-commerce is concerned. So there's always a kind of discomfort slash initially when you work with somebody as a leader, like lack of trust, like, are you really doing the right six things or 10 things? And are you sure we can't do 400 things? Right. Right. Like, so, so that's the challenge internally. I, you know, when I had my own company and externally, the challenge was, uh, uh, getting paid, which is odd. Like you wouldn't think people wouldn't pay you, but very, very strangely. And I I learned invoice. Oh, I I know. Don't pay. It's crazy. I I pay all my bills. It's really weird. So, um, so that was one challenge. And the other challenge was kind of balancing the work and the hustle at the same time. It's like, you always have to hustle to be getting more work, but you also have to do the work you have right now. And because it was just me for those four years, I, I hired somebody right at the end. You know, there was always that tension of doing those two things at the exact same point in time. Yep. So, you know, I think about my corporate life and my my life as an entrepreneur, as a CEO of my own business, you know, as my corporate life, it's, I feel a little more stress in terms of there's 4,000 things. Let's do 400 of them. No, 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 no. Let's just do 10 and do them well. Exactly. Yep. These are the 10 important, right? And so there's the, the stress of trying to manage that and retain a team, et cetera, versus when I had my own company, I'd call it pressure, Yep. which, you know, it took me a while to realize those are very different things like stress and pressure, like Ooh, stress like from that. resources limited and time limited pressure from you've got to get more work and you've got to do this work right now. Yeah, I like that and, you know, I'm one of these people that like, you know, when I'm anxious about something, I just don't sleep. I'll wake up at like two mm-hmm. and that's it. Bing, I'm up. You know, when I do that now as a, as somebody within a company, I have a lot less kind of power to influence and change things with, you know, big organization, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. When I felt that pressure, you know, my own company, it was easy. I woke up at two, bing, ready to go for the day. I would just start hustling. It was yep. very easy, like yep. sending emails and or doing work, either one. Um, so it's just really interesting to kind of think back about the differences in those two scenarios and how they, you know, put, 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 uh, pressure on you in different ways. I love that stress and pressure bifurcation. That's a really fascinating. They're actually different. That. Like they're yeah, actually 100%. different. Yeah. You're absolutely right but there. Anyway. I've never, I've never heard that before. That's a really interesting way to put it because I, I, I that was, um, when I was running my own shop, I was similar, kind of basically like a one man team, big brain, had some permalancers, but it was more so to, you know, do the things that permalancers. I like that. Yeah. Idea. We're like, they're freelancers, but kind of they're nice. in my network. Yeah. 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 Um, but there was definitely a lot of, um, I ended up lucky out where I had a, a few clients that were just at really high retainer. So I didn't really have to, uh, pound the pavement too much. But before that, uh, uh, so I ran my own shop a few times and, uh, having to hunt and cook at the same time is really challenging. <laughs> it, it is. It's a lot, a lot going on. And so you're yeah. sitting there pitching, you're sourcing. Oh, but at the yeah. same time, the clients you do have, you got to be shipping the deliverables and like, it is a lot, uh, uh, it's a lot going on. And then, um, being able to, you know, show up in relationships as well on top of your business right. because it, right. it, it, there's just, there's a lot of plates spinning and sometimes, you know, it's a, it can be, prioritization can be challenging and sometimes like 
you know, you're, again, you're, you're cutting things that you probably necessarily like looking back, you shouldn't have cut kind of stuff where it just, uh, it is what it is though. You know, sometimes there is a aspect of, uh, if you do make it out, it'll help you kind of shape the, the decisions you make in your future. But, uh, going back to integrating the learnings, trying not yeah. to make the same mistakes over and over again, but, uh, yeah, the stress and the pressure and in a weird way, the, I'm trying to think if I liked, I don't know if I like I'm sorry if you can hear my cat. He's back here complaining he wants food. Oh, no, no, no. We love, we love the pets. Um, I don't know if I like the stress or which, the pressure. Yeah. Which one which, was more desirable? I think they were, they were equally the same amount of toll on the system, just kind of different yeah. vectors, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's discomfort. No question. And I think when you have your own company, you kind of never stop churning. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there's like a good third of your brain that if you have your own company, that is 24 seven dedicated to cooking up how to get your business, you know, bigger, keep it going, et cetera, keep everybody busy, whatever. Um, and it, you know, it makes it hard to enjoy downtime, yes. you know, to make room for relationships that are important. Um, this, one of the decisions that, one of the reasons I decided to sell my company to Estee Lauder when they wanted to bring me on as a permanent employee is because I felt like I was just giving my husband kind of the short end of the stick all the yep, time. For sure. And I adore him. He's like, you know, I always tell him he's my most important thing. So, you know, so it's, you know, I have to show up for him. So it's one of the reasons yep. that I, 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 I sold my company. Um, that's fantastic. I, I love that. And I think that that's something that. For me, at the end of the day, this life's about deep relationships with people you care about. And so, like, you know, resources can help enable that. But at the same time, you don't want to, um, you know, lose people or push people away if you're not showing up because, you know, it's not it's not fair to them. And you have to make sure that I mean, again, it's hard decisions in your life, but um, that's a fantastic. I love the stress pressure. Mm -mm -mm, I'm going to steal that from you. I love it. Yeah, go for um, it. Go for it. It's yours. When you talked about culture, how do you keep culture? How do you create culture? What, what are your kind of thoughts there? Cause so for, to give you, this is a little bit of a selfish question, but, um, for me, I'm trying to figure it out now because I actually moved. I've pretty much been like a, just a high level IC my whole life. And then I finally stepped into C-suite as CMO. And uh, it's just just totally different um, how you generate value. Like it's, it's a bit of a nightmare right now in terms of like I'm on meetings most of the day. Whereas yeah. like I don't have deep work. I don't have these things that used to really fire me up. And so it's not that I don't like it. It's just uh, it's a different uh, value generative activity than when I was uh, an IC or individual contributor. Um, right. But one of the things is I want to make sure that I keep this kind of very, not only fun, but transparent, but as well as um, I'm not a big positivity, positivity guy. I'm more of like an optimism guy because like when crap goes wrong, like I want people to know like, Hey, we're not where we need to be. And like, sometimes I can, see when people talk about, oh, positivity, yeah, yeah. It can kind of almost get into the realm of toxic positivity where it's like the room's on fire and this is fine. Kind of the dog <laughs> yeah. meme. It's just like, 
this is not fine. Like you need to be yes. able to tell your team, like, yes. hey, we're not in the place we need to be. We yes. need to get it together. I, yes. Let's go go here. I'm not saying that yes. you guys aren't capable of it, but I'm trying to give you the reality. So kind of give me some color there in terms of some tips, tricks, or uh, activities. That, like, that was another joke that I was talking to my buddy who's a, a president of a uh, another SaaS company in town. And I was like, who am I, dude? I was literally driving home the other day <laughs> thinking of tomb building activities. Like I yeah. never thought I'd be that yeah, you're guy. Like, who like, am I? What am I doing yeah. with my life? Yeah. Uh, who am I? What happened? What happened in my life? Am I really doing this right now? <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, this is, you know, you made the point, like, as you progress in your career, you move away from being an IC or individual contributor to, to, to more of a leader and you wind up doing less work and doing more people management yep. and doing more communication. So your people management skills and your communication skills just get all the more important, Um, especially also in a big org like like mine. You you know, the political navigation is something I struggle with. 100%. So, you know, as far as culture, you know, you really culture comes from above. Right. So, you you know, you really only can in my instance, I can really only impact my team. You know, everything that's coming in at us from 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 outside above, you know, whatever I can mitigate that I can provide an angle or point of view on that. But um, I can only, uh, you know, influence the culture on on my my team and my direct reports and their direct reports. So, you know, culture is basically, you know, built on a foundation of kind of values. So like what your values are and how you model those values, people watch. Um, So, you know, silly example, but like (laughs) I was was in a a doctor's office and um, for like CAT scan and this guy was drinking that nasty, you know, stuff you have to drink for the contrast before you get a CAT scan. Yep. Like, and he spilled some of it on the carpet and I'm watching him out of the corner of my eye and he like, you know, just took his foot and like mashed it into the park carpet. I'm like, really, dude? Really? Did you do that in your house? I bet you don't. Like, you know, so I, I guess my point is like, if you're, a, you know, if you're a leader, like you have to be a role model. And if you did that at work, your team would be watching you and they would yep. draw some conclusions. Right. Yep. Like this person doesn't care about the office space or what, or they're a slob or whatever their conclusions are because everyone's perception is different. So not to sit here and say, as a leader, you have to be a perfect human being. There's no, no such thing, but you do want to be conscious of the fact that like, you know, heavy lies, the crown kind of thing. Like Uh you you do, you, you know, you are a role model. You, you are charged with, um, leading the team in terms of direction And when it comes to, you know, the example you gave where like the numbers are just not up to snuff or like, you know, there needs to be a reality check on, you know, this is not where it needs to be. It needs to be over here. You know, the role of the leader is to kind of motivate, assess and communicate and also provide a vision and hope for everybody and a vision about, okay, we might be here, but this is where we need to be is over here. And this is what this looks like. Yep. And this is the path, how to get there and communicate it in a way that resonates with your people and their wishes and desires. One of the things I always try to do with my team is understand, you know, as much about them as I can, you know, because not everybody brings their full 360 degrees self to work, right? You can't, obviously, Um, uh, as much as I'd love to. 
right? Like, you know, can't be swearing at work and stuff as much as I love swearing. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the part that you can learn about people and their motivations is the important part that you need to speak to as you craft that vision. And then you talk to them one-on-one about the pieces of their work and what needs to change. And it's, it's much, it's amazing how powerful it is to, instead of asking for something like, I need you to do da, 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 uh, you know, having a conversation and getting input about what it is that, that needs to happen. Um, and also giving the person kind of a role in shaping what that looks like, because then they have yep. ownership. Yep. I um, totally love I that. mean, these are all just little things that, you know, I've, I've learned and, I think the most important thing is, you know, treating people well, uh, you know, as human beings. Sounds silly, right? uh, It's, oh God, I can't even tell you. I mean, I I basically learned how to be a good boss from every other boss I had. You know, they were all horrible in their own special way. (laughs) Um, It's just, you know, it's unbelievable the stuff I've been subjected to and witnessed over the years. and it just makes me all the more determined to never do that to anybody that that I that that I work with, uh, yep. for you know who works for me, because some of the behavior I've seen and lived through is just cuckoo crazy. Um, you know, I can't even watch the show Office Space because like it, it's too PTSD it's too for me. Like when that stuff really happens, when that messed up stuff really happens, and you're actually there, it's really not comfortable at all. You know, the show is funny, I'm sure, but I can't even watch it. And one of the things I want to do when I, when no one needs to hire me anymore is like write a book about, you know, or a series of like short stories about all this crazy stuff. Cause yeah. if I told you, no one would believe me. Yeah. Like, that didn't yeah. really happen. Yeah. Oh yes, it did. <laughs> and let me tell you about that other time when this, you know, so, uh, someday, someday when no one needs to hire me, I'll tell all those stories and put those down in print. And uh, like, I won't change the names because the guilty should go to hell. There you go. A little YouTube <laughs> series coming, coming soon from Amy Madonna. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, just kidding. I, I love that. I mean, and I, I couldn't agree more. First off, a little small digression, uh, Office Space, yeah. uh, the majority of it was filmed in Austin, Texas. What, little, what was this? Uh, oh, Office Space? Office really? Space. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. filmed here in Austin, Texas, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping someday I can watch it because, oh, you know. It's, it's challenging. Just, if you, if you've done, there's a, a kind of like a corollary with, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the movie waiting, but waiting is kind of the same, same, but different for if you've ever worked in a restaurant where it's basically ah. this, this huge, just lens of reality of what it's like to work at like Applebee's or something like that. I love that. I have do. been it's, a server before. So yes, yeah. I would probably, yeah, so you might enjoy Yeah. I would uh, probably Ryan, love that. Ryan Reynolds yeah. and uh, it's, yeah. it's a good one, but I yeah. did it in business school and it was a really good experience. I'm glad that I did it. It's always, yeah. you know, it's definitely more enjoyable to be sitting on, at the table and eating the meal, but it was a good yeah. job. Yeah. It's a good game. Uh, I love that though. And I think there's something to being, so with my directs right now, I actually make them, answer three questions before we actually start our one-on-ones. What is, what was your biggest win? What's your biggest opportunity? And then what are you looking forward to most? And the third thing doesn't even need to be a work-related thing to your point. I think like having that connection with your, especially your direct reports, like obviously you want to be connected with everybody, but like when org your size, it's like, it's not just physically mental, the Dunbar number, yada, yada, yada. It's just very hard to have deep relationships with all these people. But 
especially direct reports, um, because you touched on something else that was really important for me is that understanding their motivations and kind of what they want to be and where they want to yeah. go. And like, is this yeah. a springboard job for them or not? And if it is, right. you know, A, should we skill them up in a different way where it's like, hey, I need to make sure that I'm prepared for you to leave because you don't want to be here in a year or two and not because you don't like it, but because you want to move into a different role or something like that. And that is a much more productive place to be than getting blindsided by like, hey, here's my two weeks. I'm moving into this new role. You're like, oh, well, I thought you liked it here. Well, you never <laughs> actually asked me if I liked it or not, or what I want to do with my job or, you know what right. I mean? Like right. these assumptions. And then the other thing that I love about how you're building your culture and creating a culture is I'm a huge believer in responsibility and, and silos of responsibility and ownership. I think when yeah, you have too. like co-ownership and stuff like that, it just perverts things. It really disincentivizes people because like, does Amy own it? Does Raba own right. it? And then right. it's not, this is going to sound harsh, like who gets the yeah. credit, you know what I mean? Right. And then like, yeah. and so it's like, people want to own things and people want to move, move stuff forward that that's their ideas they're they're exciting about and like this is my project or like and you can see people really get fired up with ownership whereas when you start to spread that out it gets really uh into like the og doing the uh project at university when like two people out of the seven group is like driving the whole thing forward and then right, everybody exactly. gets the credit and stuff yeah. it's like that's just yeah. a terrible yeah. in my opinion a yeah. terrible culture to cultivate or um, yeah. nobody yeah. wins in that yeah a lot of companies believe in this dotted line structure too for reporting yep. standpoint. So you might, you know, you might direct line into somebody and then you have like a dotted line to this person over here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's also kind of a recipe for disaster too, right? Totally because agree. some those two people might not agree on something. Well, what are they going to do? They're not going to talk. Ever. They're going to use you. And what are you going to do? You have two different bosses telling you different things and you know, neither of them feels a hundred percent accountable for you, your career development, your workload, or, or know what it is. Um, and to me, so it's, to me, that just seems like, you know, a little bit of a management cop out, like make a decision. Who does this person report to? <laughs> who, who has this responsibility? Okay. It, moving on. I couldn't you know? agree more. Yeah. And actually, um, I mean, we're still small. We're still, we're about 55 people now, but, um, basically that's decided by like who fires this person. <laughs> <laughs> like if you, it sounds harsh, but like it was, it was actually a very easy mental model where it's like, yeah. okay, cool. If somebody's going to terminate this person who is terminated. Okay, cool. That's yeah. who they report to. <laughs> like, yeah. Simple as that. Like, get, yeah, it works. get it done. And, 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 and cause I agree that dotted line stuff is, uh, it, it seems like just another way to add a, a class to the MBA curriculum in my opinion. Yeah. And MBAs too, like, you know, they, they, at least when I went, which is God, like a long time ago now, like they used to do everything in groups. So you have like a study group that you did like all of your projects with. Well, that was also a nightmare because we had one guy whose MBA was paid for by bank of country. I won't name, but like yep. that guy couldn't care less. He, he, he Talk about like, you know, we would sit down to do a project and he was out getting a Snapple for three hours. And we're like, dude, what, <laughs> you know, and, and we all got pissed enough at one point, he was like an economics guy that when we got to, we got to economics, we we're like, you're writing this whole paper. Like, we don't want to even see it. We don't even our names are on it. But, dude, we don't want to know nothing from this paper. And you better get us an A. And he did the paper and he got us an A. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, wow. But anyway, yeah, like you know, they do that in business school to set you up and get you ready for having to work in groups like that. Yeah. Cause it happens I, in, in large orbs, like constantly. Yeah. And 
it, it's tough. It's tough. There's always personalities. There's always, you know, the question of who gets credit, you know, and, yeah. and that's tough. That's tough. It is tough. And, and I think too, and we'll wrap this up is, uh, I think it can be really challenging on kind of meritocratic people where they just want to build and they just want to do. And then like, like then now you're throwing in like these political layers and all these things that like, it just doesn't fire them up. It's like, I want to build and get into the data and extract insights and then build a plan and then execute that plan. And now I have to like, it, it just, it's uh, different value vectors that uh, a lot of times kind of higher level ICs, just their brain explodes where it's just like, why am I wasting my time on this? Can I be doing something value yeah, generative well, versus this? And, this? This can't yeah, be the, and, this and can't be other, the path. Yeah. And two other things I'll add on the culture point, um, you know, to the, and motivation, I guess, to the extent that I can craft people's jobs to give them more of what they like and want to do yes. and are motivated to Love that. like, that's killer when, when you have a little bit of leeway to do that. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing is that like, because you're setting the culture for, for your team or your company, depending on your position, you do have license to decide when things are relaxed and when you can yep. shoot the bull and people are going to follow your lead. Yep. So, you know, it doesn't have to be this, Oh, we're going to spend a day on team building and, you know, or, you know, Saturday night, I want you to come to this work event. Like really great. You know, who's <laughs> thrilled about that? Nobody. <laughs> You know, we all have to go, obviously, but like, you know, there's ways to, you know, there's ways you can set a tone to create the opportunity for just relaxed conversation, human beings talking to human beings in the context of other meetings. Um, and I'm always a big fan of like, you know, doing something relaxed, either on a regular cadence that's either in the office or very close by and convenient to the office at the end yep. of a day. So people aren't traveling or taking time away from their weekend. Yep. For, you know, just, I mean, you get to know everybody as human beings. I mean, that's what we're on the planet for is to be human beings. So yeah, super important. I love, I love that. Well, Amy, you've been such a gem, but now I got to take you through the ringer. It's rapid Let's fire time. Are you ready? Let's do it. I am ready. More than ready. Okay. Overrated, underrated horseback riding. Oh my God. Over it's underrated, underrated. I got so spazzed out by like that, 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 that was the first thing you came with. I said the wrong thing. Totally underrated. Okay. Cause everybody you're, you're being a question gal, right? Everybody that has kids. Yeah. I'm a question, question person. Everybody that has kids, have your kids ride horses. It's the best. Like their teammate outweighs them. And the teammate does not speak English. What is cooler than that? Like, I love it. Talk about learning a lot about life from being on a horse. If you have kids, consider it, please. Underrated. Uh, makeup, overrated, underrated. Ooh, underrated. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Um, the history of natural, yeah, the history of natural science, right? It's natural science. Or I forget what the, the order is. The one with the big whale. The history of the history of natural science. Yeah. The big, the big whale one in uh, New York. It's the history oh, of natural the, science, the right? Museum of Museum of Natural History. That's the one. Sorry, I knew. I, I, I man, I ad living here, moving. The, the, yeah, that's yes, right. That overrated, um, underrated. God, I haven't been there in so long. I'm gonna say underrated. Okay. Oh, three underrated in a row. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Times Square, overrated, underrated. Ooh, overrated. Ooh. Have you overrated. done um, New Year's Eve there? I've, overrated. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, dude, I. 
I can't imagine. Like they corral you off. It's you bad. can't go to the bathroom. That's you can't leave. Too. You I got like you know, talk about your your double arm space. You're not gonna have it. <laughs> no. It's cold. It's freezing. It's always yeah. freezing. Yeah. You're you're stuck in there for at least four hours. No bath. I mean, that's just. I mean, no. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. Not the path not either. No. Uh, UGC user generated content overrated underrated. Underrated. Completely underrated. I love it. TikTok overrated underrated. Ooh, gosh, I might go with a little bit overrated, Okay, yeah. but like you it. know, I might want to revisit that in another six Slight, months. Slightly months. underrated. Okay. Yeah. yeah we'll come, we'll come, we'll we'll have go, you back yeah. on in six months and we'll get, we'll get you. Yeah. Yeah. That your, sounds your great. Rating again. I, I'm down. I'm down. Fashion shows overrated, underrated. Ooh, underrated. So oh, really? Even, even the high level ones where they're wearing the wonky stuff. You love that. Interesting. I mean, the what inner is, artist in me just comes out and I'm just like, this is cool. What is fascinating to me about that is in the, the weirdest way, like the, the lay people can't see it, but those high end fashion shows actually trickle down to what you wear. Like yeah. they, they inform, which is kind of, kind of blows my mind. It's like, wow, like that is actually going to inform what shirt I'm going to buy in a year from now or something like exactly. that. Exactly. It's like the edge of the, the edge exactly. of the, the sword. It's just so interesting. And it's actually kind of like horseback riding too, because like a show lasts however many minutes. I don't even know. Say, 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 say it lasts six minutes or something. It's very short, but oh, all the prep that. and work that goes into that season Massive, is right? just massive. Even the picking of the accessories and the one element of a belt that somebody's wearing or whatever, you know, horseback riding is the same way. You're on that horse a very small percentage of the time that it took to get there. Get yeah. the horse, you know, taken care of. He's got the farrier. He's Great got the dentist. Point. He's got oh the, you know, gosh, the, the bed. Yeah. The bed. He's got a shots and his worming and his all that. And then you got to get him ready and you got to cool him out and da 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 da. And then you're actually on the horse or showing for a very like you're riding over fences for two minutes and it's over. You know, that and is it's interesting. Super what an interesting exciting. analogy. High fashion and horse and equestrian. Only you, Amy. Two Only you can make that things. connection. Oh my god! <laughs> two of my favorite things ever. I didn't even know we would be getting there. <laughs> favorite thing to do in New York. Ooh, observing people, Mm, people watching. Love it. Yeah. Like just, you know, even at, I mentioned this earlier, like even on the subway, because you're so close to people, like you can see what they're wearing. You can see what they're looking at on their phones. It's just like a fascinating, I guess it's because I'm a marketer. It's like a fascinating psychological piece of information about like, you know, I I don't know. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't articulate it very well, but like watching people, and trying to understand them and their motivations is just really, really interesting. I'll never get tired of it. I love it. And a great place to people watch and fantastic parks to people watch at as well. Yeah, yeah, all, completely. All across completely. Brooklyn and Manhattan and everywhere. Yeah, beautiful. Yep, yep. Favorite place to travel to and why? Oh, God. Uh, we, we went on a trip in 2017 to Turks and Caicos. Ooh. Um, that was lovely. And so I, I'll probably say that my, my husband knows I love horses and he actually took me on like a, a beach horse ride thing oh, wow. where we actually took the horses That's in the cool. water, which That's cool. was, you know, like my head exploded cause I love yeah. the ocean. So I was like, you know, and the food Everything. was really good yeah. beach, you know, so that's kind of all I need on a, on a, on a vacation. That's yeah. The beautiful water there too, right? Crystal yeah. Clear. It was like this beautiful, you know, crystal clear aqua blue color. Just, yeah. you know, just unbelievable. I love it. Nature swimming pool. 
Favorite way to spend your time? Riding horses. Oh, yeah. I oh, love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. If you could have, so this is the last one. So yeah, yeah. bulk up. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who would they be? You're at a four-person table. You're sitting at the head. You get to invite three people. Who are they? I was hoping you'd ask me this because I, I actually, like, I watched your other pods. Oh, you cheated and, and you like, prepped. Oh, you, you look at I, the Ivy but, League are coming out on you. Yeah, I know. I'm a nerd. I can't help it. So uh, I, I'm going to name Stephen Colbert. Yep. Um, comedian named Louis Black. I don't know yep. if you're familiar with him. Yep. He's hilarious and super very dry very dry glasses but hilarious yeah and he gets like all worked up and crazed about like stupidity happening in the world that's exactly how i am um (laughs) (laughs) if you can picture it and then um the third seat i can't decide if it should go to bill burr who's another comedian i absolutely love or my husband or my husband because i adore him like yeah. they might have to flip for it i don't know you know there you not go that they this is strong all comedians is colbert's comedian ish journalist exactly so we'll, we'll put exactly. him in like kind of the journalist category in two comedians i love exactly. it exactly it's a great exactly pitch. humor is definitely underrated like everybody needs to laugh like life's too short so i totally agree and not only that it's such a um disarmor where like people that are like, oh, and if you can make them laugh. So that's one of the things that we really try to do where um, we want to convey high level content. But at the same time, if you have this condescending kind of, you know, very hoity-toity vibe, it makes people really tighten up. Whereas you tell a joke or we do a lot of memes and that really can make people vulnerable. And when people are vulnerable, they learn the most. Where they're, they're okay. They're like, oh, I can be wrong. It's okay. There's not all this judgment that's coming on me. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Amy, you're that's such a tough. gem. Thank you so hey, much for coming on. Hey, this was super fun. This yeah, time absolutely. flew by. This was the fastest hour ever. I know. It was fantastic. How can people find you? How can people connect with you? What, what, um, this time is link- yours. Yeah, LinkedIn, Amy Madonia. Uh, my email is my first name, last name at gmail.com. So, Perfect. you know, hit me up. Yeah. I love to talk shop. I love to talk about e-com and digital marketing type stuff. So yeah, yeah. Or if you have any tips on the the horses or some some oh, yeah. tickets Absolutely. to some some high highfalutin fashion oh, shows. I wish. Amy's I wish. I've only girl. been to two. I, I've only been to two. If I could find a way to weasel my way into a third, I would. There we go. There we go. We're gonna we're we're gonna get the Twitterverse. We're gonna get into some more fashion shows. Amy, thanks so much again. You were an absolute incredible guest. Thank you for all your thoughtful, eloquent responses. If you do want to get more involved with the Triple Whale, we're trytriplewhale.com. You can sign up there. We are also on the Twitters at Triple Whale. And then I would be remiss not to mention we have a fantastic newsletter that you can sign up for called Whale Mail. Goes out every Tuesday, Thursday. Amy, thanks so much. Get on the horse. Thank Keep you. Doing the thanks thing. for having I me. I really appreciate the time. Um, again, one of my favorite pods. You were, you were absolutely incredible. If you're ever in Austin, give me a shout. And uh, that's 29 of the books, folks. We'll see you on the flip. 